we got the alternative energy. free autonomy. And welcome to the Radioactive Show, produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. The Radioactive Show acknowledges that this show has been recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I give my respect to elders, past and present. Sovereignty has never been ceded. Today's show features an interview with Elise West, the Executive Officer of the Medical Association for Prevention of War, commonly known as MAPW. The interview was conducted by Fong Tran for 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast Show and was broadcast on 17th of January 2022. It's a really interesting conversation that covers many current radioactive show topics, and so I've chosen to share it here. Topics covered include partnerships between weapons companies and providers of STEM education in schools, the increasing civil use of the military in Australia, particularly in our government's COVID response, Updates on the, on the campaigns towards abolishing nuclear weapons and the recent multi-billion dollar purchase of tanks from the US. Thanks to Tuesday Breakfast for sharing this audio. joining us on Tuesday Breakfast again. Last time you were on the show, it was part of our Disarmament Week special. And you came on Tuesday Breakfast to talk to us about the MAPW's report, Minor and Missiles, uh, looking into weapons companies and their influence on STEM programs in schools. Were there any updates that you wanted to give us around this issue or around weapons companies in general? Thanks for having me on and, and happy new year to everybody and um, an update on weapons companies and STEM education. So later last year, we did manage to disrupt a partnership between the children's charity Smith Family and the weapons company BAE Systems. So BAE Systems had signed a partnership with the Smith Family to provide funding for their STEM education programs. And um, while the Smith family does excellent work and that STEM education is really valuable and all kids should have access, we felt um, that it was inappropriate for a company that profits from harm to children to, um, I guess, uh, clean up its image by partnering with such a reputable charity. Um, We engaged with the um, leadership of the Smith family um, and eventually when the media picked it up, um, they did announce that the partnership was ending early. We think that's a good thing Um, and we also know that um, people, you know, supporters of the Smith family were also happy to see that that partnership end as well. Uh, We've also written to education ministers in all of the states and territories to ask them to um, tell us what their policy is 
on partnerships with weapons companies. So most education departments have a policy that you can't have, schools can't have relationships with companies that create harmful products, so like alcohol and tobacco and so forth. So we've asked them if this would also apply to companies that make harmful products like um, bombs, for example. So um, we'll let you know how that goes. We're hopeful that we can get some policy change at the department level. Yeah, that well, that's awesome to hear about the Smith family and, and also great to hear that, you know, MAPW is doing all this work behind the scenes to disrupt and engage directly with the Department of Education and organisations where a lot of people, a lot of supporters or, or even people within these organisations might not actually know the, the truth about some of these weapon companies or do you think that's the case and that a lot of people just don't know what's really happening? I would say, um, yes, that is the case and that is what perfectly suits weapons companies and that's the purpose of um, of their partnerships with organisations and charities who do great work. Often these partnerships, they're actually not worth a lot of money. They might only be in you know, the tens of thousands of dollars and the benefits really flow to the weapons companies mainly who then kind of promote this association with positive causes, for example, and kind of, um, you know, misdirect people as to what the source of their profits actually are. Right. Now to more recent news. The Sydney Morning Herald recently reported that Australia has entered a $3.5 billion deal with the US purchasing tanks. Uh, What do we know about this deal already? All right. So um, you're correct. So early in January, the government announced its intention to import 120 tanks and armoured vehicles from the US. And as you say, that's about um, $3.5 billion worth of heavy armoured vehicles. So amongst the deal are 75 latest model Abrams tanks. Um, If you think about a tank, just sum up a picture in your mind of a tank. That's that's what it is. Um, right, yeah. These are, these are the latest models. They've got um, a smart gun that can fire munitions that are programmable over a data link. They're equipped with explosive reactive armour. Um, they have electronic warfare weapons like a built-in jammer. That's to counter um, radio-triggered IEDs, for example. They've got sophisticated information and communication systems. Um, they're equipped with sensors. They can be networked. And, of course, and probably this is the most important point, is that they're interoperable with the US Army tanks who also deploy the same model. So these new tanks are replacing 59 Abrams tanks that Australia currently has, and not a single one of those tanks has ever seen a single second of combat. And, in fact, Australia has not deployed a tank in combat since the Vietnam War. Um, overall, Australia is going to spend about $40 billion on armoured vehicles over the coming decades. And this is all, you know, land systems that are designed for ground operations, including at close range. And if it strikes the public as strange that Australia is investing so much money in kind of land combat systems, then the public is probably right because there's a bit of a dissonance here. Um, only a few months ago when AUKUS was announced, The public was told it was absolutely essential that Australia has long-range maritime and long-range missile capability. So the idea that there was a threat kind of far off our shores or that Australia would be kind of leaving its own shores um, to address threats that are far away. Um, And a few years ago, listeners might remember the F-35, which is a supersonic long-range self-fighter, was also sort of touted as being just the business for exactly the same reason, that we needed to be able to travel long distances and defend at long range. But... 
the tanks and the other land systems in this deal won't be useful in the case of a major conflict in the Asia Pacific, which is what Australia is sort of predicting will be, you know, the next big threat. Mm. Um, in the case of these Abrams tanks, they're too heavy for Australia's amphibious landing boats. So they can't be driven onto a boat, for example, and, and, and taken off to some offshore theatre. And even if they could be transported, some analysts say that they would be too heavy for the roads and bridges in our near region. And others even say that they're too heavy even for parts of northern Australia. So say where roads are degraded or subject to flooding, those kind of things. So, you know, what exactly are they for? And the utility of these tanks for the defence of Australia has been, been questioned. Yeah, I mean, I was about to ask what might seem like a really obvious question, but given that there are all these obstacles in the way of, of Australia actually deploying these tanks and and given the fact that, you know, like you said, the current tanks were not used at all in combat and that Australia hasn't used a tank in combat since the Vietnam War, why has the government purchased all these land tanks? <laughs> Well, um, a very good question. I think it's probably symptomatic of um, the increasing um, alliance between the US and Australia. Um, these tanks really prepare Australia for a specific kind of war. And once we're prepared for this kind of war, it becomes both less and more likely to, to occur. But either way, it alters the way Australia conducts itself in relation to its allies and also in relation to sort of any perceived threats. And this is not just an issue for the armed forces. It's got enormous importance for the future of security of Australia and, and decisions are being made on our behalf by defence and by parliament that will affect all of us for, for generations but the public's not really given a role. Mm. Um, I think, you know, Australian defence policy is being shaped by the concept of strategic competition between the US and China. Um, you know, the Defence Department says, quote, you know, there's less remote than in the past possibility of a high-intensity conflict in the Asia-Pacific. Presumably that's US and, and China and the event of this conflict, Australia really would be obliged to, to enter in support of the United States. Um, so I think, you know, the tanks are sort of symptomatic of this increasing dependence and interreliance on the United States and the idea that Australia is becoming more and more like a forward operating base for the United States in our region. Um, so we see more US equipment, um, closer um, alliances between troops, for example. We've seen more troops rotating through Australia, more stationing, more maintenance, joint and combined training. And it's like Australia is almost building a a miniature US army in terms of its equipment and the way it operates and also, you know, the threats that it's preparing itself to or the, the perceived threats that it's preparing itself to, to respond to. That's quite a terrifying image um, <laughs> there. I'm um, laughing, but no, you're right. It, yeah. You know, it, it, is, it is terrifying and I think it's just really important to reiterate that the public is not being given a role in, in these decisions. Um, because they do fundamentally shape our future. I think a, an example of this is the AUKUS agreement, which just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, mm. It was just kind of announced and we were getting nuclear submarines and all of this was, was going to happen.
this is The Radioactive Show, and that's a clip from the song War by Edwin Starr. The Radioactive Show is broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network, and in today's show, we're featuring an interview taken in January for 3CR's Tuesday Breakfast with Elise West, the Executive Officer of the Medical Association for Prevention of War, or MAPW. Earlier in this interview, Interviewer Fuang Tran referred to a MAPW report, Miners and Missiles, Weapons Companies in Schools. You can find this report on their website, mapw.org.au. We're going to return to the interview with Elise West to hear further about Australia's increasing gearing towards militarism and the use of the military for civilian health crises like the current COVID pandemic as well as predictions that we're heading towards a khaki election. I just wanted to touch briefly on what you were saying before, that contradiction between acquiring all these weapons and and tanks and and submarines making conflict and war both more likely and less likely given that the government says that it's to protect Australia and its interests but also by purchasing these tanks and, and these submarines to other countries it does seem like an escalation or a move towards conflict Correct. Yes. Yeah. So I think the key there is um, this is where diplomacy comes in, right? And unfortunately, Australia's diplomatic capacity is just so thoroughly degraded and you only need to watch the news for a week (laughs) to see, you know, how how poorly we often conduct ourselves on the international stage. So it's quite worrying that we're sort of arming ourselves to the teeth and hitching our wagon to the United States and its security interests And yet we don't have a corresponding um, plan to boost our diplomatic capacity to prevent the war that we keep saying, well, ministers in the government keep saying is is probably going to happen. Um, Nobody wants that to happen. So you need to ensure that it doesn't and we don't see enough attention given to the, the diplomatic capacity that we need. And I can't help but situate this this latest I guess, development within, you know, our current situation, which is COVID and and Omicron and, and vaccines and rapid tests and all and investing money and resources into our public health systems and looking after, you know, um, those who are most vulnerable in the community. Yeah, it's just hard to fathom that that over the next however many years Australia is, has committed to spending, what did you say earlier, $40 billion dollars um, that's just a vehicles. fraction of it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well in, in 2021 u.s arms sales to australia were 8.6 billion that's helicopters and combat systems and remote piloted aircrafts and chinooks and hellfire mm-hmm. missiles you know that was just last year 8.6 billion dollars and it's really painful to talk about this kind of spending on the tools of war when as as you say So many of us throughout the pandemic have suffered the effects of real insecurity, like day-to-day insecurity, whether because of having insecure work or housing or having a safety deprioritised because you're aged or you have a disability. Um, And it's not just the money. I think when we talk about billions, we can sort of forget what that means. But 
um, aside from the dollar amounts, what's become really apparent over the pandemic is that governments can spend whatever they want to if they want to. Mm. So it's a question of priorities. So, you know, if we spend $8.6 billion on US, you know, military hardware and the NDIA is underfunded, that's a political choice. Mm. That, that is a choice that has been made. It's not we don't see the budget anymore as a as a pie whereas if you you know you spend that much there's less left for everything else we, we know now that it's about priorities mm-hmm. and I think that's something that should be of great concern to the public. Uh, I guess the other thing that I think about as well is is the impact that this will have on the climate. I was wondering if you could talk to us about I guess the impact that the military and and these weapons and, and vehicles have on our environment. Yes, well, you know, the, the relationship between kind of conflict and the environment is really complex but well established. So, you know, on the one hand, you know, even just the, um, the development of weapons themselves can be um, environmentally catastrophic. Um, militaries are huge emitters and are not included in national um, emissions um, tallies so there's a there's a campaign at the moment that is asking states to make sure that they include military missions in their overall tally um, but you know I think I've, I've seen something that says if the pentagon was a you know a country it would be the third biggest emitter something like that <laughs> wow. yeah so you know there's a really significant um, you know direct environmental impact but we also know that you know there's a a problem where the climate becomes securitized as, as an issue, where um, instead of addressing the, the root cause, it becomes securitized in the sense that it becomes a source of conflict. So, um, you know, you see that it becomes like a policing problem or a defence problem rather than an environmental problem. So when you say that, you know, seas are going to rise and it's going to create refugees, the issue is about keeping them out, you know, using the military to keep them out. Um, or in the case of Australia, it's identified that the army will need to respond to environmental kind of and social crises as a, as a result. So then you get domestic deployment of the armed forces, which, you know, I think is very unnerving um, in a lot of ways and it's not really what the military is designed to do, yet there's no real significant effort to um, seek another solution. Yeah, I guess I see a parallel to that, um, of that to, you know, what we saw with COVID lockdown in 2020 and I, I guess last year as well, having police being deployed to certain suburbs, certain areas of, of Victoria and New South Wales to enforce health measures. Yes. Um, and we yes. know that, you know, they are not qualified or equipped in any way to deal with that, I guess, military being deployed to, to respond to climate issues is, is very much the same. Yes, yeah, that's correct. And I think that's kind of contemporary militarism in action, right, that in, in case of any crisis you you deploy um, a military or military-like force and you know we've even had a, a military general in charge of you know the COVID response standing up in front of the Australian public in, in a military uniform um, which I think has been absolutely extraordinary that this <laughs> this is happening before our very eyes mm. um, and I think that has really you know I think it is a really good expression of where we are in terms of Australian militarism that this is somehow you know acceptable yeah 
Well, you were saying before that the public are not privy to, to what's going on in terms of these deals and, and how it all comes together to form a big picture of Australian of the Australian military and our position uh, on, on war and engaging in conflicts. And I know the Medical Association for Prevention of War is great at, at sort of exposing all of that and helping people to understand what's going on. Could you uh, tell us what are some of the campaigns that you're working on this year, 2022, or what do you have your eye on at the moment or in the, in the coming months? Well, I think the next um, the next thing that we should all be um, looking for is a, a khaki election. So with an election probably coming in May, um, we're quite concerned that this will be an election focusing on issues of law and order and safety and security, the threat of war and essentially the stoking of fear in the public. So um, last year we saw quite a bit of that. The phrase drums of war was kind of banded about and the idea that um, a war with China was inevitable um, in some way. And this is a really classic tactic of an incumbent government, especially one that's in electoral trouble to um, stoke fear of an external threat. Um, And I think after two years of of a pandemic, we're especially psychologically primed to be afraid, to to be fearful of others, um, to be more nationalistic. And I think over the past two years, our internal divisions have really deepened and, and widened as well. So we're concerned that this um, khaki election will do significant damage, perhaps not, you know, not in the sense of leading to an actual war, but when you stoke divisions, um, it has real consequences for people in their everyday lives. Um, when you say that China is the enemy, that affects people here in Australia, um, Asian Austra- Australian people who, you know, report spikes in racism, who no longer feel comfortable in, you know, in the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really concerning to us. Um, we'll have a lot more to say about that <laughs> in, yeah. the, in the coming months. Um, the 22nd of January uh, marks one year since the entry into force of the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. So that's the day that nuclear weapons became illegal under international law. And the abolition of nuclear weapons is a really key Uh, mission for MAPW so we will continue to bang on about that until the job is done Um, in December last year our quit nukes campaign which is a disinvestment campaign released a big report on Australian super funds policies and practices on investments in nuclear weapons companies and we'll continue to to work in that field as well Um, And for a few years now, we have been drawing attention to the Australian arms trade with a particular focus on Australian exports that fuel uh, the war in Yemen. So the war in Yemen is coming up to its, what's in its seventh year. Um, It's one of the greatest humanitarian crises we've ever seen, but shockingly little attention is paid or action taken um, to assist the people of Yemen um, to halt the war or to stop Australian businesses profiting from the misery that's unravelling there. Um, The Australian export system operates under almost blanket secrecy and is basically designed to protect businesses um, without any accountability or any transparency whatsoever. Um, So we will also keep banging on about that until we make some change there too. We would like to see the Australian government cease all military exports to Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Wow, that is... A lot. 
that is a lot, but we are so appreciative and grateful for for the work of the MAPW and and to you, Elise, for for coming on our show again to to talk us through all of these complex issues. Um, we would love to have you on the show again in the coming months just to see how many of these things have panned out or continue to pan out. But uh, once again, thank you so much, Elise, for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. The Radioactive Show is recorded for 3CR Community Radio and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can podcast our show at 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive. Thanks to the Nuclear Free Collective of Friends of the Earth Melbourne for their ongoing support of our show. I'm Emma Crunch. Uh, Thanks for listening and here's to a peaceful nuclear-free future. I'll leave you with the track War recorded in 1970 by Edwin Starr.
So this is in the middle of the pandemic where this billionaire is suing the Pentagon for a military contract for what most people think is the place that you order books from. It's a very interesting case study in pulling out the different threads of militarism and how it can really be embedded in so many aspects of our lives that we don't even realize that when we order something from Amazon that we're putting workers' lives at risk and that we're supporting what is becoming an increasingly important actor in the military-industrial complex. Exposing that to people, I think, is very important. People will care if they understand that this is how things are all interconnected and linked. It's surfacing that information, it's making that accessible and making it relevant for people's lives. And I think that is another opportunity that COVID-19 really presents to us is that we are all connected and these structures are all connected. We can see that much more clearly now than we could before. We need to keep radical voices on air. Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe.